Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. Well, welcome back. Uh, if you're watching at home, uh, we took a quick little break. Uh, you're going to notice something different. I got the keys back again. The famous Lacey is in the house. Come on now. Come on now. There's this moment in the Old Testament where Elijah says, bring me the minstrel. And they start, the minstrel starts to play. It's just a musician. And then the spirit starts to move. There is something spiritual about the keys. You know what I'm saying? If you're brand new to the church, uh, my name is Tyler. I'm the pastor here. And uh, we have been in a series titled The Making of a Great Disciple for nine weeks now. This is the ninth week. We got one more week after this, 10 weeks total. And the title of my message, I'm going to call my talk, my sermon, uh, my thought, uh, better and brighter. Everybody say better and brighter. The whole thought of this whole series has been simply this, is that if you make disciples, you're going to have great families. If you make disciples, you're going to have a great church. If you make disciples, you're going to have a great marriage. A great marriage doesn't happen from just going through a program. It's actually creating great people. This church is not going to invest in program. We're going to invest in people. And the thought that Jesus shares with us, he says that disciples are like salt and they're like light. Basically saying that they make things better and they make things brighter. And we're supposed to establish this better way of living uh, and this brighter way of living. And it says if a salt loses its flavor, what good is it? If, 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 if the light is hidden under a, a, a little a bu- a bucket, then, then what good is it? I mean, think about it. Who, who loves a good filet mignon? Where's my carnivores at? Raise your hand. Okay. Uh, who loves, who's like, a, uh, loves only vegetables? Uh, asparagus. How about that? A couple of, God bless you. Um, you still need some salt on it. Can I be honest? You don't know the salt's there, but you just know what's better. May our community say, man, something's better about this area. Simply said, we got some salt in the area. Now, the reason why I want to share this thought with you is, I got two titles, and forgive me, it's it's better and brighter, but also two cities. You'll see this theme throughout Genesis to Revelation, and there is this spirit that is not of God, and it's the spirit of Babylon, some theologians call it. And in Genesis 11, there are these people that don't want to make disciples. They want to make something else. And it says this in Genesis 11, 4, it says, Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Oof. God says, The one thing I got, your great commission is go make disciples. Can I just tell you real quick, LA, New York, and the Bay Area, people don't come here to just make anything. They come here to make a name for themselves, like Genesis 11, or they come here to make money thinking that's what's going to change their life. I got two movies that just flew under the radar that I don't even know how they're not one of the greatest hits of all time. One is a movie titled Ready Player One. Anybody like the movie Ready Player One? Anybody? Okay, thank you, my people. I knew this was a great church. Now, when I saw Ready Player One, I got on Amazon Prime one day. I was like, people said this is pretty solid. I'll check it out. It looks like a cartoon. I don't really get it. And Rachel and I are watching this movie. I've watched it now like 10 times since. It's one of my favorite movies just to put on in the background. And the end of the movie, this is the first thing I thought. How in the world did I not see a preview for this at the movies? I should have seen a preview for this. This is one of the greatest movies. I almost missed out on one of the greatest movies. I was so mad. Now you're like, well, Tyler, did you show up late? No, I don't show up late to movies. My friend, uh, my, my childhood best friend, Andrew Gard, shout out, he watches a lot. Um, he loves going early to previews and we'll, we'll do this game. Uh, he, he thought of it, so I got credit. You'll watch all the previews and a preview will go and you'll go like this if you want to see it, thumbs up. If it's okay, TNT, you know what I'm talking about? Like, remember I watched TNT, Armageddon on every other Thursday, you know what I'm talking about? Um, and then if you hate the movie, you don't want to see the preview, you just put thumbs down. 
And so a preview will come up and it's a scary movie and him and his wife love scary movies. So they're like, yeah. And I always be like, no, I don't do scary movies, okay? Um, I just, I'm pamper soft. I wanna sleep well at night. I wanna walk to the bathroom and not go like this the whole time. Um, and then another preview will come up and I'll be like, that's not bad, that's not bad. And then another preview will come up and it'll be a movie. I'm like, oh, I, I am, when does, that comes out next year, 2021, circling my calendar. I can't wait to be there the, the opening night. Well, what God is saying to his disciples, and this is why we wanna make great disciples is, you're the preview of eternity. You, there are two cities being established. I'm gonna read Revelation 18, but I want you to catch this church. I wanna catch this at home. That, that God came to establish the kingdom of God, the city of God right now. The theologians call it right now, but not yet. Because at the very end, he's gonna get rid of the other city, which is Babylon. It's just gonna be the city of God and everything's gonna be redeemed. No, no tears, no sickness, everything. But at this very moment, we have two cities at play in the world. We have the city of God, and those are made up of the disciples. And then we have the city of the world. That's the Babylon spirit. It's, I'm here to make a name for myself. I'm here for pleasure. I'm here to make uh, myself famous. I'm here to make money because I wanna make those things because Babylon's told me those are the things I'm supposed to go for. I lived in LA, people wanna make a name for themselves. Instagram, it's this new thing that feeds us. It says, if I could just have enough people follow me, I finally made a name for myself. But Jesus said, keep it simple, just make disciples. I, I wanna read you Revelation 18. I wanna read you about this other city. I thought I'd be spiritual and actually read out of my Bible today, and now I realize it's not the best idea. I should have put it on my laptop, but all right, I can do two things at once. It says this, this is the city of Babylon. Keep your eyes open. Babylon has fallen, the great city has fallen. She has become home for demons. She is a hideout for every foul spirit, a hideout for every foul vulture, and every foul and dreadful animal. For all the nations have fallen because of the wine of her passionate immorality. The kings of the world have committed adultery with her because of her desires for extravagant luxury. The merchants uh, of the world have grown rich. Pause. Double pause. Come away from her, my people. Do not take part in her sins or you'll be punished with her for her sins are piled up as high as heaven. Kind of like Tower of Babel. Anyways, and God uh, remembers her evil deeds. Goes on to say, the fancy things you love so much are gone, they cry. All your luxuries are, and splendors are gone forever, never to be yours again. How terrible, how terrible for that great city. She was clothed in the finest purple and scarlet linens, decked out with gold and precious stones and pearls. In a single moment, all the wealth of the city is gone. How terrible, how terrible for that great city. The ship owners became wealthy by transporting her great wealth on the seas. In a single moment, it is all gone. Stop. Can I just be honest with you? Nobody moves to Topeka, Kansas to make a name for themselves. Nobody does it. Nobody moves to Omaha, Nebraska to go make a ton of money. Those people move to those cities for one reason. They want to escape the hustle and bustle of the Babylonian spirit. And can, can I just be honest? Uh, people, I read articles all the time. People are flooding out of California. And to be honest, I kind of get it. It's crazy right now in California. But I, I, I want to say this real quick. You want to change the world. Look, look at the places that change the world. New York changes the world. LA changes the world. And the Bay Area changes the world. And I would submit to you that of anything, the Bay Area changes the world the most because we are the tech industry, apps, everything that's shaping minds. It is changing the world. Most money per capita here. You know who built cities? God built cities. God's a crater. Satan's a perverter. Cities are the epicenter of change. Cities are the epicenter of influence. Cities are the epicenter of, if you can get a city, you can change the world. 
the, the, the city is the epicenter of when you walk into a city and the city starts changing the fashion game. Everybody from the city, we went to Paris for the first time last year and they are, the, the city of Paris has changes fashion. You're like, oh, you'll see these in about six to eight months. Paris starts it here and then it leaves the city and it changes the world in fashion. And so Christians, I, I gotta say this real quick, we are not called to run away from the cities, we are actually called to transform the cities. So I'm gonna say something real quick, I'm calling all Christians, Omaha, Nebraska, move to the Bay Area, we need you, okay? Um, I wanna say something real quick, Topeka, Kansas, come on back, uh, we need you. Because um, the thing that you are desiring and you are trying to flee, it is not gonna be found in Idaho or Nebraska, it is in your heart, you're desiring something different, you hate the, the immorality, you hate the greed, you hate the backstabbing, you hate the bustle, and the run and you're saying I just want to get away from it and God's saying you just can't get away from it you got to invade it and transform it there are two cities at play it's the city of God and the city of the devil and we are Christians saying the Bay Area I'm not going to surrender to the devil I don't want the Bay Area to be the... I don't want a steak with no salt it sucks I don't want a Bay Area with no Christians I don't want to walk into a room with no light on and walk into a wall or get worse, trip and fall and hurt myself or bad. I want to walk into a wall that is bright and joyful. And I want to walk into the Bay Area and literally go, man, there is hope for this region. God, you're not done establishing your city in the Bay Area. Now, the reason why I started so strongly is because Thyatira, this, this letter that Jesus is writing to him, he's simply saying two worlds are at play here. There are two worlds at play. And he's asking God's people, do not compromise the way that you live. You gotta show them a different preview. You gotta live a different way. I wanna read it to you real quick. It says this. It says, to the angel of the church in Thyatira, right? Now Thyatira, just a little context. It's a really small city. It's a trade city. It's kind of in between. Nothing really significant about the city, to be honest. It's probably the most insignificant city out of all of them, but it actually had the longest letter. So I'm not gonna read the whole letter, but I thought that was kind of fascinating. Uh, Lydia, uh, the one that was saved in Acts, she was from Thyatira. A little shout out to Lydia uh, in Acts. Come on now. Uh, to the angel of the church in Thyatira, right? These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. Real quick, I just wanna tell you something real quick. Um, Eyes of fire, every time you see a description of Jesus in the letters, it's, he's trying to tell you something about himself that can transform your life. Nothing else can change your life except Jesus. So, so when you read eyes of fire, what's supposed to transform your life right there? Can I just tell you something? Jesus, you can't fake him out. You can't fake him out. I, 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 I have some friends who have some kids and it's, it's adorable to watch their kids fake their parents out. Shout out to one of my friends. Their kid was eating all their fruit snacks. There was a box of fruit snacks, 10 fruit snacks in the box. And I was, uh, we were hanging out, we were in Tahoe at this time, we we're on the beach and the kid ate all the fruit snacks in one bag. Mom comes back from the, the kayak and I'm sitting there and he walks up to mom and goes, mom, there's only one fruit snack left in the box. Can I have the uh, last one? Of course you can. Oh, he's such a good kid. And I'm like, dang, you just played mom. I, was, I didn't tell him, I was just impressed. I was like, clap, 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 standing ovation. I wanna learn from you. Take me under your wing, six-year-old. You know, I'm watching this kid fake out mom and mom gets played and literally gives him the rest of the fruit snacks thinking he's the greatest kid. You can fake out parents, you can fake out friends, but you can't fake out God. And, and what eyes of fire do, and I, yeah, we'll go, we'll go full transparent. For about three weeks, I just felt stale. I didn't want to read my Bible. I didn't feel like praying. And I started studying for this message. I had two weeks off and I read eyes of fire and I just stopped. And I just started, I was reading Timothy, of course, and it talks about fanning the flames. And I just literally in my prayer time, I just stopped and I said, God, I want to look at your eyes and will you warm my soul again? Will you increase my passion again? 
well, I pray for revival again in Walnut Creek in California because all I've been doing is talking about all the bad things and I haven't been praying the same way and I don't feel, I don't feel like praying, God, will you warm my soul? And so I'd stare and when you start to stare at God's eyes, I'm gonna give you something real quick. When you start to stare at your savior, you know what happens? Your sin gets a lot grosser than it was at first. There's two types of Christians, I'll be honest. The casual Christians that really don't think about their sin a lot, it's not that big a deal, whatever, it's all good. What sin, <laughs> Jesus loves me. And, there's those, and then there's other ones and they live by deeds and they love their deeds and they think they're amazing. Well, I'm both Christians, to be honest. Each one I go and I, and I just started feeling sick about some of my sin and, and I wept over it and then I repented of it because what I love is that I get to walk out whiter than snow, but then the other part you get exposed when you look at the eyes of fire, if I could just be honest with you, your deeds get exposed. You find out they're selfish. You find out they're self-righteous a little bit. You find out you kind of did it for yourself. You just find out your deeds, it says in Isaiah, it's like dirty rags. You realize my deeds aren't even that good. But then you walk away, and this is what's so amazing. I'm reading Romans 5 a little bit. You walk away and go, man, but I know who is good, and his name is Jesus. And it warms your soul. You're working from acceptance. You're working from love. Take some time this week and just look at the eyes of fire. Watch what happens to your soul. Last thing it says, bronze, uh, bronze feet. Uh, Something I love is, you'll see this in Daniel. All it just means is this, is God is immovable. He's beautiful. The faster you can figure out that God is in control and God is sovereign and God is the writer of your story and you stop trying to manipulate God, you're gonna have a better time. I'll never forget him. I call this man strength. My dad uh, was like 60 years old at this time. He's 77 now. Um, I had old dad. Shout out old dad. I love you, old dad. Um, he had me when he was like 49. Um, I'm gonna be old dad probably too. It's cool to be old dad. Um, but I remember be like working out and it was the fittest I'd ever been. Um, and I wanted to arm wrestle my dad because when we were little, he'd always kill me in arm wrestling. And, and we'd always do this hand strength competition where he'd squeeze my hand hard and I wanted, and I'd always lose. I'm like, ah, okay, okay. And, you know, call mercy, whatever. And so I remember being like, dad. And I, you know, I was visiting, I was about 25. I'd come back from California. I was like, arm wrestle, today's my day. And my sisters were, were visiting with his family thing like, Dad's in his 60s. Don't do that. That's not fair, Tyler, you know? And I was like, I gotta get a dub. I'm like, oh, and a billion against this guy. And so my dad, you know, gets on the thing and we start arm wrestling. And he's got this thing, I don't have it yet, but I guess it's called a forearm. I'm gonna get one one day. And it's just like a ball. And we go to arm wrestle. And I think I'm gonna smash him, to be honest. Um, and <laughs> literally my dad, within seconds, slams my arm against the, uh, the table. And I was like, okay, 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 okay. Don't cry, don't cry, don't be angry. Hand competition. So I go straight to hand competition. Squeezes my hand so hard. And I finally realized God gives this old man strength to dads that no matter how old they get, their sons are never stronger than them. And can, amen. There you go. Come on now. One of the fathers says amen. And if I could just tell you real quick, the, the sooner you realize that you're never going to beat God in an arm wrestling contest, the better life will be. The, the, the more you'll enjoy life, the more you'll realize, and not only that, his strength is your strength. That, 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 that his power is your power. There's just something special about that little statement about Jesus. Okay, I'm sorry, but when it mentions Jesus, I wanna talk about him a little bit. Okay, let's keep going. I know your deeds. Everybody say deeds. deeds. Your love. Who's everybody say love? love. Faith. Faith. And service. Perfect. Oh, one more, perseverance. Perfect. I love it. This, the, the camera didn't do that last week. <laughs> didn't do that at all and that you are now doing more than you did at first. You know what Jesus is saying to his, this church, Thyatira? Hey, Thyatira, you're better and brighter. You're doing more than you did at first. I'm coming to check in, and I see a healthier church. Uh, you, you loved a little bit the first time, but now you're loving even more. Can I just tell you God loves progress? He lo he's not asking you for perfection, but he's asking for health. He's saying, just get a little better. You know, you, you know what would make your marriage a little better? 
That's a forgiveness. That's a salt. That's a preview. When people see a Christian marriage really navigate in a way that glorifies God, oof. That's a, that's a mercy and grace to your marriage. Add some selflessness to your marriage. Just keep salt in that marriage and just see what happens. And people come back and say, something happened with your marriage. It's better and it's brighter. I added a little bit of salt to my marriage. My spouse needed some forgiveness. I gave him a lot of forgiveness last week. There's something about adding the things of God to a marriage that makes you better and brighter. Another way I can say it, and uh, I'm giving up one of my secret weapons in marriage for this sermon. This is a big deal, okay? I'm gonna surrender it. What he's saying to the church of Thyatira is you are no longer crutching. Who knows the term crutching? Raise your hand. Okay, three of you. The rest of you, I'm gonna out you if you're a crutcher. So crutching is used with kids, with parents, spouses with spouses, friends with friends. Here's what crutching is. I do this with Rachel all the time. Rachel, I, there's nothing to eat. I can't find anything. All right. I'm looking in the fridge. I'm like, where's the water? I can't see it. Rachel walks in and gets the water. Sometimes I'll do this. Rachel, could you make the bacon? You just make it better than me. And Rachel's like, I do? Yeah, I just, I don't know how to make bacon. I just burn it every time. So Rachel makes the bacon. I basically use strategies of like, I can't do something. So Rachel will do it for me. It's a terrible strategy. I believe my wife has crutched me before too. I believe it. You'll see kids do it. When they're three, it's adorable. Mommy, will you help me open my Capri Sun? Oh, you're three, of course I will. But then if they're 15, that's just weird. <laughs> hey, Mom, Capri Sun. <laughs> Meatloaf! You know, one of those moments, not okay. Am I right? You know that movie? Yeah. yeah. yeah you're not a Christian either, okay. Um, and what he's saying to the church of Thyatira, he's saying this, you're actually doing it now. Your deeds, you're actually moving, you're actually changing. You're not saying, God, just do something. He's like, you're actually saying, God, you gave me power, the Holy Spirit, I can do it myself. God, you, you empowered me with your spirit to, to love people and to forgive and to be persevering, to have faith. All these things saying, okay, you're, you're not crutching anymore, saying, well, your love's gonna change it. No, no, the love you gave me, you said, I'll do greater things. I'm no longer crutching on God. You ever met the Christian always blames God for nothing happening? You know what, God just never sent me a spouse. Have you ever asked a girl out? No, you're crutching. Go ask a girl out. You ever, ever have somebody go, God, just, I just don't really feel that blessed. You steward in your life? No, you're crutching. Stop crutching God. Start doing something with your life. God is not going to literally steward your life for you. We see this in scripture. And he's saying, Thyatira, wait a not crutch. Wait a not crutch. All the spouses that crutch right now, you're a little quiet, you're a little upset with me, forgive me. Let's move on. Goes on to say, and it finishes, nevertheless, I have this against you. He comes with a challenge, he goes, you tolerate that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet by her teaching. Uh, she misleads my servants into sexual morality and eating uh, a food sacrificed to idols. Simply put, there's this one person. It's interesting, one person can make a whole group compromise. If you know Jezebel, this isn't actually, it says that Jezebel woman, it's referencing Jezebel with Ahab and Jezebel is married to the king and it's fascinating that, that the, the king's wife uh, literally created a culture to make all of Israel compromise. And so you'll see throughout scripture, they'll, they'll, they'll reference this Jezebel that will cause us to compromise. Now, what, what was she doing in this culture? Well, there's three things. Now, this was a kind of a Roman town. And so the Roman culture was kind of setting the standards instead of the church of Thyatira and, and God saying, there, there's two cities that play Thyatira. You can't compromise just because the world says it's okay. I'm grossed out by it. I, I, don't, I don't love sexual morality. Actually, I hate it. It destroys people's lives. 
I don't like idolatry. It destroys my people. So what would happen is that this Jezebel person, they don't know who it is. Theologians say maybe it was Lydia. It wasn't Lydia. It's not about the person. It's just about what the person was doing to the group. And so uh, Jezebel would bring these people uh, to uh, the other services, if you will. In Roman culture, they would have these festivals and they would kind of call them religious uh, ceremonies and they would worship Apollo at this time at Thyatira. So they would come worship Apollo and they'd offer food to, to uh, Apollo. And after they offer the food, they would eat the food they offered to Apollo. And after they ate the food and drank the wine, they would sleep and have sex with everybody in the room. It would just be a huge idolatry, sexual and moral thing. And then that's just was normal in their day. How, how crazy is it to think how normal that is? And they didn't even think it was weird. It makes me kind of put up my spiritual eyes a little bit and say, God, is there anything that would just make you go, how are you okay with this? How are you okay with saying that or looking at that or celebrating that or eating those things from the world? This is not okay. Can I ask you a question real quick? Is there any people in your life that are making you, making you compromise? making you live a little different than you should, making you talk about people when you shouldn't talk about people, making you doubt the things in your life, making you live for something else, making you walk away and just question your, uh, your faith. God's saying you can't tolerate those people. There's two cities at play. You can't live in two cities. Do you want to live in the, the, uh, this city or that city? He says, don't tolerate it. And he goes on to say, I love this about He's so gracious. He goes, I've given her time to repent of her morality, but she is unwilling. Man, God's gracious, isn't he? Jezebel woman leading him to idolatries, and God was just being patient. Come on, repent. Come on, repent. I read that, and I don't get mad at Jezebel. I just literally stopped at that moment when I was studying. I said, God, give me the spirit to repent. Man, never be unwilling. May there be no hardness in my life. Oh, I'd rather learn from wisdom than from pain. Oh, I repent. That was a long piano time. I'm sorry, I'm gonna pray now though. God, I thank you. I thank you for what you're doing at Mission Church. We're gonna now go into the one point. I only have one point today. I'm gonna steal my buddy Drew's statement. I have one point, one only point. I don't even know how he says it. Uh, God, we love you. Uh, bless this message. My mighty words follow the floor. Oh, we love you, God. We love the music. We love Lacey. Thank you for the, the spiritual keys. And everybody said? All right, all right. Lacey, I literally, it was so soothing. I forgot. Okay, this won't happen again. Okay, place is like, it's been six hours. Oh. Yeah, come on, come on, come on. <laughs> okay, so I, I'm, gonna, uh, I'm gonna keep this simple tonight. I just wanna have one thought from this because I, I really believe this, that people are going to know you and the saddest thing would be 50 years later, they would say, how did I not know about this God? How did I not know about this other city, if you will? How did I not know about this other option? I can't believe I almost missed out on the greatest thing of my life and it was the gospel. I can't believe I, didn't. I missed out on this greatest thing called peace. How in the world did I not get this preview? Because Mission Church, you're a special church. You're gonna show this world a different type of preview. You're gonna give them a sample of your life and they're gonna say, man, there's just something different and I want it. And when they ask, you're gonna say, oh, it's, it's the city of God. Well, maybe not start with that. That's not very good evangelism. It's the city of God. Would you like to live there with us? <laughs> Sounds weird. Good point. Okay. We'll work on it. We'll work on it. Okay. It's a, it's a work in progress. Um, so here's what I want to do real quick. The, my one point, my only point is simply this. Make up your mind. Everybody say, make up your mind. Yeah. Colossians 3, 2 through 10 talks about two cities again. Talks about heaven. Talks about the world. And the world represents basically the, 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 the world of, uh, I mean, if, if I'll be honest, there's, there's God and there's the devil. There's sons of God and there's sons of the devil. That's scripture. I know that sounds strong, but just bear with me. Here we go. Colossians 3, 2 through 10 says this. Think about things of heaven, not things of this earth. 
Think about the city of God. Don't think about the city of Babylon, Bay Area. Let me, put, let, me put that, let me ask you a question real quick. How much have you thought about heaven today? How much have you thought about the things of God today? Let me, let me, let me just get a little bigger. How, how much have you thought about the things of heaven this week? The goodness of God, your salvation, uh, uh, the, the, the promises that come from heaven, the worship. Uh, have, you, have you thought about eternity? Have you, have, you, have you rejoiced over the promises of what's coming in our life? Oh, let's, let's do this. How many times have you thought about heaven or the good things of God this last month? Now let's ask the other question. You don't have to answer it out loud, but how much have you thought about the world? How much have you thought about money? How much have you thought about your own worries? How much have you thought about yourself? Man, if we could get like a little thing, like a bubble walking throughout the day, most of the stuff is like self, 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 other person in my way, still self, 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 self. Jesus, I need you to help myself, self, self. Jesus, I've been praying again. Can, I, can myself have some self of self and promotion for myself? Oh, I love you, Jesus. Oh, I loved worship because it made myself feel good. Oh, service was great because it was for myself. Um, it's a lot of self going on. Can we be honest with that? Well, this week, I want you to think of one thing. I want you to think of your salvation. Because I believe that once you understand your salvation, you don't ever want to move that from that city. You never want to leave that party. The, the, salvation is uh, connected to righteousness. Salvation is connected to a party. Salvation is connected to this thing called grace. And these are all synonymous, but it, it, we, we kind of talk about salvation. And, and something I've been asking myself, and Rachel and I have been processing, is if somebody's been at Mission Church for five years, when they leave our church, did we make a great disciple? Can they actually say, I understand salvation. I understand justification. These are all sanctification, glorification. They're all cations. And I know you know vacation really well. But, but the other ones are so important for your soul. Oh, it's so important for you to actually understand what salvation is and what God did and, and what it means for your life. And so, again, bear with me, but I'm going to use two terms. Martin Luther, I studied his salvation this week. And Martin Luther used two terms, and I've been reading on it, and I've been chewing on it, but Martin Luther is a guy who was in church for the longest time. He wasn't a disciple. He was a religious man. And he started reading Romans and Galatians. And uh, there, I was going to read you his whole story, but it would have taken a little too long. But basically what happens is he, he was reading Scripture, and for the first time, you know what he understood? Salvation. And it changed his life forever. He was not living in the city of God. He was not living with the inheritance that God had for him. He was a religious person thinking that uh, his good deeds would save him. But he had that moment with the eyes of fire realizing that his good deeds were nothing in front of God. So there's two terms he uses, and he would talk about it for the rest of his days. And these are his terms. One term is called passive obedience, and the other term is called active obedience. Mm, doesn't that sound like a fun little point? Okay, let's keep going. Passive obedience doesn't mean that God was passive in saving us. Passive obedience means that because God was obedient, God's wrath passes by us. Now, let, let, me, let me use a, a term real quick. Um, so when you get saved, you go from unrighteous to righteous. Now, a lot of disciples, you need to know what righteous means. Righteousness is not a, I do better than everything, I'm the best. Righteousness is a relational term. It means you're accepted. You, you, you have the golden ticket to the party. That's what righteousness means. So the opposite of righteousness, a lot of people are like, well, that person's unrighteous. We always think of it as something immoral. That's not what unrighteousness is. Unrighteousness is, I'm rejected. I'm not accepted. And if you asked any youth kid, I pastored for nine years, you know the biggest thing they struggle with is acceptance. They struggle with rejection. You know what happens to youth kids? 
They become adults. And you know what they struggle with? Acceptance. Because you are hardwired to become righteous. You are hardwired to be accepted. You are hardwired to be saved. Now, now let, me, let me give you a, a little picture of what I mean by that. Um, yeah, we'll use, uh, we'll use a party. So imagine you uh, got, uh, your friend told you about a party and you wore a pajamas because you thought it was a pajama party, but then you showed up and it was a wedding and it was a black tie event. Don't you just, would you feel weird at the party? You know, you got your uh, jam jams on. I don't know how you, what your pajamas are, but you know, my pajamas are just usually a, a big old t-shirt and some big old, like, I have these gray sweatpants shorts that I got cut in half. And so I look like a homeless man in my pajamas. But man, I'm cozy. Who, who loves some coziness, am I right? Yeah, so I'm cozy. But if I showed up to a black tie event and that, I would be like, oh my gosh, I gotta get out of here. Everybody's looking at me. Everybody's staring at me. They, they think I'm weird, like I shouldn't be here. And I feel exposed. I just feel like I'm the wrong person to be at the party. And what salvation is, is Jesus walking up to you and saying, hey, I got an extra suit. Suit and booted just for you because I know you, Tyler. 42 long, 34, 34. Pop. Jesus, you do know me. That's exactly what I love. Nice little white uh, button-up, uh, nice, nice little white uh, button-up shirt, a tie, I put it on, and then I just, oh, I feel better at the party. I feel, I, I got more swagger now. I feel like I belong. And he, he saves you from getting kicked out of the party and feeling like the weirdo. Can, can I be honest? You, you'll see this in kids like crazy, just what they want to wear around their friends. It's hardwired in us. Now you're like, well, is that really what salvation's like? I'll show you in Matthew 22. It says this. Now go out to the street corners and invite everyone you see. So the servants brought in everyone they could find, good and bad alike, and the banquet hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to meet the guests, he noticed a man who wasn't wearing the proper clothes for a wedding. Tyler was wearing his jammies. Not okay. Friend, he asked, how is it that you are here without wedding clothes? But the man had no reply. Then the king said to his aides, bind his hand and feet, throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Anybody encouraged right now? You should be encouraged. Here's what Jesus did. He said, oh, oh you don't have to throw Tyler out anymore. I got him a new, I got him new digs. He got the robe of righteousness. He's allowed to be in here. I adopted him. This, this, is, this is one of the most pivotal things for you to understand. When you wake up in the morning, you can now go into the city of God with the right clothes on, with the right thing, and you are debt-free. Um, let me put it this way. Uh, imagine uh, getting evicted out of your apartment or evicted out of your house. It's basically Jesus saying, you don't get evicted from my city. I paid the bill. I paid the rent. How good would it be if somebody paid your mortgage? Who wants, to be, who wants their mortgage paid? One person, okay, done, I'm on it. I'll pray for you. I'm not gonna do it myself. Um, but I, by faith, I got some faith. It feels different today, okay? Um, but there's something about just somebody paying for you to live somewhere. It's the best feeling. I mean, the, the, we take it for granted that we get to go to the party. Do you understand that if Jesus didn't die on the cross, we would have been thrown out of the party? It's passive obedience. It's, for me, I've been just sitting on this thought for the last couple weeks. Lord, I'm just processing my salvation. Oh, Lord, I'm accepted. And when you really actually start to get accepted by God, you don't care about being accepted by others. You don't care about being accepted by the Babylon, uh, Babylonian city anymore. You want to actually build a different city. Now, now, now let, let's go on to the, the fun one. This is a good one. Now, real quick, what do we call passive obedience? Another term we call it mercy. Not getting what we deserve. Very simple, we know this. Uh, next one is active obedience. Active obedience. Now, this is, the, this is the one that all of you need to know even more, if I can put it that way, or, or just as much. Now, uh, not only does Jesus... Uh, save us, but then his life rewards us. I got, I got a quote for you. Where are we at? The determining factor in my relation with God is not my past or my present, but Christ's past and his present. So active obedience 
An illustration I could use for this would be, you show up to that party, you had your jam jams on. I don't know why I'm saying jam jams, I never used that word before. Uh, your pajamas, your jammies. Um, and you get the suit, but then not only do you get the suit, at the party, you get celebrated. And Revelation says that there's gonna be a celebration and like it's an Olympic ceremony. So you're gonna get like the Medal of Honor, if you will. Then not only that, imagine at this party you get the Medal of Honor, but then you get free shopping at Nordstrom's for the rest of your life. Who wants free shopping at Nordstrom's? Yeah, they're like, they're like here's a, that got the most woos tonight. That's sad. Okay, here we go. Nordstrom's, woo, I'm in, I'm down. Um, so um, uh, you get free shopping at Nordstrom's. You're like, why do I get free shopping at Nordstrom's? B- because of what Jesus did. Okay, why do I get this suit? Because what Jesus did. Oh, not only do you get free shopping in Nordstrom's, you get a free house. Oh, because of who? Because of what Jesus did. Now, it says in Hebrews that Jesus is our high priest, and now we have access to heaven, and our prayers are heard. And I think the thing that we've got to be awakened to again is that heaven is now open to us, and we don't get free shopping in Nordstrom's, but we get free access to the throne room, and that Jesus literally comes to us and he hears us now because he died on a cross. The passive obedience that we can wake up and realize, and there's nothing I have to do to actually earn this. And this is, this is where it will blow your mind. I, I wanna read you uh, Romans 5. It says this. This is where uh, you'll see passive obedience and active obedience in, in, in one little spot. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and a new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners, but because one uh, other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were, but as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, Paul is the, not only a theologian, he wrote theology. Like, I think we got some smart people in church, we got theologians, but we got nobody who wrote scripture, okay? Now, now, here's what Paul says in Romans 6. So he basically goes, so Jesus died for our sins, one person saved everybody, now that one person, we get rewarded because of it, it's called grace, so we're now saved, and now we get rewarded because of one person, and so Paul goes on to say this in the next chapter, I wish they wouldn't have broken up because I love this part, he goes, what then shall we say? You ever like, in Christianity, you're like, okay, hold on a second. So there's nothing I can do that will actually make it better. Uh, no, but, there's, but there's, there's nothing I add to this? No. Well, then what am I supposed to do? That's what Paul's saying. Hold on a second. If Jesus paid for everything and I'm rewarded because of everything he did, then am I, what am I supposed to do? What's my role in this? I have no more incentive. My incentive isn't fear. Oh, if I don't do this, God's gonna hurt me. Oh, if I, don't, if I do this, God's gonna hook me up. Because the reality is, is some of you, you don't think, you haven't changed your mind yet. The way that you process God is, some of you, I gotta I got say it real quick. Uh, it's like a kid asking uh, their dad for 25 cents. Dad gives the kid 25 cents. They go to the store, they buy their dad a, a gift with that 25 cents. This has to be 1940s because he can't give anything 25 cents today. <laughs> but bear with me, with that quarter, buys his dad a gift. And he gives his dad that little quarter gift. And the dad's like, oh, thank you, son. And then the kid right after he gives the dad the gift goes, yep, and now because I gave you that gift, you can't spank me anymore, you can't ground me, and I get to stay up later, right? The gift is ruined. It's, it's, not a, it's, 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 it's transactional. And, and, and what's happening in Romans 5 is Paul's saying, okay, so if it's not transactional, 
and, and it's not fear, then what then shall we say? And he goes on to say, shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? And if you, you read the rest of it, basically what he's saying is, here's gonna be your motivation, ready? Love. Like, God, you, you love me so much, and now I just get to go love other people? That seems too easy. No, it's just simple. It's the gospel. Gospel transformation is the religious people realizing that God just loves them a lot and they're supposed to love people. Gospel transformation is people who didn't think sin was bad and they are wrecked by their sin and they stop sinning and they go love people because God loved them in their sin. It's interesting, pastoring for so many years now, I meet some people who are so callous with their sin and then one day they'll come up to me and they'll just be wrecked. And I'm like, oh, somebody's being transformed by the gospel. Welcome to the club. You're not gonna be able to watch movies you used to love, sorry. Uh, and, then, and then there's other people who, I just knew they just, oh, they were just all caught up in their deeds. They thought they were so great in their deeds. And then some, something happens in their life and they realize it means nothing. They were the self, they always talk about what they were doing. And then realize, they, I'm making a name for myself. I need to make a name for God. I'm gonna invite the worship team up and I just wanna finish with this thought. He goes on to say, for you died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ and God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, this is Colossians, you will share in all his glory. So he's all these things in this city. So put to death the earthly things lurk, lurking within you, the old city, basically. Have nothing to do with sexual morality, impurity, lust, evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. But now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, dirty language. Now, if you could just picture all these things I'm saying, the words, as actually clothes that you wear. Get rid of... Dirty language, take, take that off. Get, get rid of uh, malicious behavior, take that off. Get, get rid of slander, get rid of rage. He goes on to say, uh, basically strip off your old sinful nature. He's at least saying, take it off. Like, throw, get it off of you. Strip off your old sinful nature and wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn uh, to know your creator and become like him. Stop. I want to think with this thought. Put on your new nature. Everybody say new nature. New nature. Now, uh, culture is like a big fashion show. Let's just be honest, culture is a big fashion show. I think religion is a big fashion show. I think life is a big fashion show. Um, I think um, we think of fashion just as clothes, but I think it's just anything that you're doing. I'll never forget, seventh grade is the first time that I actually started waking up to what I would call uh, like what I wore and what was important. There was these two girls in our school and they would literally walk up to you and be like, what brand shirt are you wearing? And I remember the first time they asked me and I was like, Bugle Boy, it says right on there. And again, I didn't grow up with a lot of scrap, a lot of money, so like that's all we could afford. And they're like, Bugle Boy? And then my friend, uh, Pat Merlick, if you ever watched this, Pat, it's one of my favorite days. Pat had one pair of brand, uh, name brand jeans, but he didn't wear them that day. And they're like, what, what pair of jeans are you wearing? He's like, Wrangler? Kmart brand. And he's like, the one day I didn't wear my name brand jeans, they asked me what kind of jeans I was wearing. And seventh grade, we're like, we, like, we feared these girls, okay? Now, I actually had a crush on one of these girls because these girls, they were attractive and they were kind of nice, but they were super obsessed with fashion. And what was in at this time was Abergrammy and Fitch and uh, Gap with the two big ones. You can throw in some Old Navy a little bit. Um, Aeropostale was another brand, whatever. But um, So I remember um, saving up all the money I could. I remember uh, mowing my buddy, uh, Joey Parker's mom's uh, lawn. I remember us doing yard work. Joey watches on Sundays. Shout out to my homie, Joey. And uh, we would mow the lawn. And I remember I saved up 60 bucks and I went and bought one shirt that said Abercrombie on it. What you wearing Abercrombie, girl? 30 bucks for this thing. T-shirt. 
And then uh, Ralph Lauren was big too, so I got the Ralph Lauren polo. And I remember going, okay, I'm, I, I gotta go save with the polo. So I, I, the polo was $45. And so I remember I had to get a little bit more money. I bought the polo and we had a dance. And I remember going, I'm gonna wear my Abercrombie shirt. I'm gonna put on my Ralph Lauren polo. I'm gonna walk up to this girl. I'm gonna ask her to dance and then I'm gonna ask her to be my girlfriend. And so I remember, well, she's gonna like me now. I mean, Bugle Boy Tyler had no chance. Abercrombie Tyler has got a shot. So we're dancing. At the end of it, I, you know, uh, basically said, hey, like, you know, for a while I've had a crush on you. And, you know, you wanna be my girlfriend? It's seventh, eighth grade or whatever. And she's like, I don't see you like that. <laughs> yeah, eighth graders do not have finesse. And I remember walking away, but, but, I, but I bought the shirt. And, and I put the cologne on, and what do you mean you don't see me that way? Like, this is what you like. I, I literally became what she told me to become, basically. And I remember growing up and just thinking, how juvenile, how silly of me that I worked my tail off to wear a t-shirt to impress a girl, and then the girl didn't even like me. And then you get older, and you just do it with different things. You do it with your career. Your career becomes fashion. Your, your Christianity becomes fashion. Well, I'll do all these things. I want to make sure you know I do them. I was at a, at a gathering with pastors two weeks ago, and our church has been a great two years, to be honest. Very few churches in two and a half years grow to the size we grow, have the staff we have. It's been an amazing two years. So I'm around a lot of pastors. You're a special church, Mr. Church. I'd like to brag about you. Um, but I'm around pastors, and I'm just finding ways to slip things in. My fashion. Yeah, I love our, I love our staff. We've got eight full-time staff members. Yeah, we're two years old. I'm like, you got eight the whole time? Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, and I start talking about it. Yeah, 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 you know, it was, it was really pretty sad when we had to shut down for COVID because we had to do three services because we couldn't fit them in two. You know, and, uh, and we're going for five hours, and I am just puffy and prideful and just, I mean, I am just literally bragging and bragging. And to be honest, the guys that I'm golf with, they've been around for eight, 12 years, and their church isn't where our church is at in two years. Uh, they have two employees, and they're struggling, and, and I get in the car, and I just feel like one of these whoosh, whoosh, from the Holy Spirit. And I was like, don't, don't use my blessing to dress up in fashion to impress people, make them feel better, littler, and say, what are you wearing? Because I'm wearing 800, I'm wearing eight employees. I don't know what you're wearing. Throw off idolatry. Throw off those gross things. I repented in the car and I said, Lord, I will never again. People will have to beg to know the numbers at our church. Well, they just have to ask. <laughs> but God, building your house isn't my fashion show. For some of you, your career is your fashion show. Throw it off. Put on your new nature. For some of you, religion is your fashion show. Throw it off. Put on your new nature. The city of God, we don't have fashion shows. We just make one name famous. His name is Jesus. And to be honest, we, we, we don't dress alike, but we dress alike. We all have the same robe. We got it from the same guy. I'm not talking for uniformity. I'm just talking about unity. Our robe, you know what it has? We dress in love. We dress in kindness. We dress in humility. You get around our city, and you're like, man, there's just something different. They're just better, and they're brighter. I love new stuff. I love new shoes. I just ordered two new shoes. I didn't even ask for permission. We're actually going to see them come in the mail tomorrow. I repent. I told her we're on a spending freeze because we're trying to buy a house and I bought two shoes. I love new things. And what God says in this verse is, he says, put on your new nature and I'm renewing you. It just keeps getting newer and newer. It's your heart's desire. Can I pray for you, Mission Church? God, we throw off our old clothes. 
Oh, the, the, the city of Babylon had us dressed in ways of fashion that we never should have dressed in. Oh, we compromise in some of our attire. We, we put on malicious behavior and slander and immorality. Well, God, today we throw it off. God, we throw off our old fashioned and we put on the new stuff. Because the city of God, it's a different kind of robe. God, we say yes to wearing love. We say yes to wearing kindness. The person tuning in today, you've never heard about this thing called the gospel. You didn't know that Jesus paid it all and all to him you owe. Well, if you want to say yes to Jesus, you want to throw off shame, you want to throw off guilt, you want to throw off the weight of trying to perform for people, and you just want to put on peace today. You want to put on joy today. That word is salvation. If you want to say yes to Jesus today, I want you to say yes in the chats. Say yes online. You can go online and say yes. You can tell somebody. I'll have a pastor follow up with you. Oh, Mission Church, we love you. Hey, we had a little bit in the room today. We were legal, but I can't wait for the next uh, parameters to open up. We're going to build this thing back little by little. God's doing something. Love you, Mission Church. We'll see you next Sunday. Be blessed. Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.